Okay, tonight I'm with Eli Marcus. Uh, he's our guest for tonight, and uh, can you hear me all right? I can hear you loud and clear. Good deal. And uh, we we connected uh, up to do a podcast, and uh, you are a, I guess you would say, selling uh, superstar. Um, that's your... Uh, trying to well, de- catch I definitely the. We've been selling for for a very long time. <laughs> and what 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 and, what have uh, you been selling? Well, I uh, sell advertising in uh, New York City's largest circulation visitor magazine. That's what I've been doing mm-hmm. longer than anything else. Um, so uh, there was probably a Guinness World Record for local advertising sales. I probably would have that. I see. And then how are things in New York City right now? Are you guys kind of getting back to normal or is it still pretty? Uh, I wish I could say that with confidence, uh, <laughs> but I'd be lying. New York City is uh, unfortunately uh, unrecognizable really, uh, compared to what it was prior to COVID. I'd have to admit that. Yeah, it's it's what's really, but what's really we'll cr- change. We'll get back. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say what's really crazy is how different it is from state to state to state or region is uh i i was talking to a guy from texas last week and they're more or less normal down there and then up here in pennsylvania and new york everything's still you know a hybrid of of what life used to be yeah i mean look obviously each governor has their own way of seeing things and uh so uh, if you go to florida things (laughs) seem very normal right uh if you go to new york it's um it's world. a whole other sort of world yeah so uh you know new york you just used to the hustle and bustle you know the, the mm-hmm. funny part is people used to complain uh that uh, there's too many tourists in times <laughs> square you know and i can't move and they complain and i said watch one day yeah uh and i said i've been said i've said this many times one day you're going to regret saying that and we learned that in 9-11 you know, because New York was a ghost town, but it was right. only a ghost town for a couple of days. Uh, this is now a ghost town for a year. Oh, There's a big difference. It's terrible. So you, the magazine is, you said it's, is it the, the speakers and experts magazine that well, you, yeah, there's is, two publications, okay. you know, one is city guide, which is New York city's largest circulation visitor magazine. It's, okay. it's been circulated in every hotel uh, in New York City since 1982. It's got a website, cityguidenny.com, for those that want to get back to New York City, go see a Broadway show, uh, one of the greatest museums in the world, we'll all get back there. And then uh, I have Speakers and Experts magazine, speakersandexpertsmagazine.com, and that reaches uh, 80,000 event meeting corporate planners, and it's uh, there for anybody who wants to be a public speaker because the event planners are the ones who are hiring public speakers. So if you are a public speaker or know somebody who's a public speaker, send them my way. And you'll have the hookup for them. So do you have, so is the speaker and experts magazine, is that more of a sort of a all digital? Okay. Is it for connecting speakers to events or is it? uh, It's for connecting speakers uh, to event planners who plan the events. Okay. So, you know, if a, an event planner or a corporate planner, you know, uh, IBM has 5,000 people and they want a top of the line speaker mm-hmm. or they want a series of speakers, you know, they will look in Speakers and Experts magazine, see anybody from a Mark Victor Hansen, you know, number one bookseller in history, you know, for Chicken Soup with the Soul, 
to, uh, you know, your regular guy who just happens to be an expert, but not necessarily famous. Sure. So I, I was a while ago involved with the Vistage group, and I'm sure they probably use something like that because, you know, every, every week we'd have a pretty good, or every month, I'm sorry, it was a once a month, uh, meeting and they would always have a really good speaker, whether it's business or motivation or it could be anything. Um, yeah. And you can find any kind of speaker, whether you want a motivational speaker, whether you want somebody who's speaking more on health, somebody who can speak on, you know, uh, how to hire, you know, there's all different mm -hmm. kinds and classifications of speakers. And what was funny about those, or not funny, but good about those meetings was that it was usually the ones that you thought would be absolutely no value to you. Like it was always some random thing that, you know, didn't apply to my business or I didn't think it applied in any way. And you're listening and all of a sudden you had some little nugget that either made you more profitable or made something else in your life easier that you were dealing with. It's amazing what an expert can, can get. Well, it's there. interesting that you say that because, you know, most of us are not necessarily seeking a particular person out. But when that person falls into our lap, mm -hmm. we sometimes go, oh, ha, ha, wow, this is interesting. And, you know, you can learn something in five minutes or hear something in five minutes that will change the trajectory of your life for the next 30 years. If you didn't hear that, you can go on a wild goose chase for 30 years and only 30 years later, you find something outside of I'd only learned that 30 years ago. Yes. If, if I would have heard that somewhere and thought about it before yeah. I had to live it and experience or, it. You may have heard it before, and you may have heard it a hundred times before, but you just weren't ready for it, or it wasn't said in the right kind of way, and it was just said in a certain way now that finally resonates you to get you to finally take the action that you need. And then you also do mentoring and coaching and one-on-one -on -one yeah. type services as well? Well, look, I was a kid that grew up, and I was painfully shy. I didn't want the teacher to call on me, you know. Uh, I, if they did, my heart started to beat very, very fast. So uh, it, to me, it was worse than death to be <laughs> called upon in class. Uh, what I learned is that the kids in the front of the class, uh, or from what I saw, they seemed to get all the girls and they seemed to have all the fun. <laughs> so I was like, you know something, um, why can't I have that? And so I decided to read every book I possibly could in self-help, went to every seminar, and I learned that you know, there are tools that you can use to break out of that. And I also learned that what you think that you are, you're not necessarily, you know, there's actually sometimes multiple sides to you. It doesn't mean you're schizophrenic, <laughs> just means that you can be that so-called, you know, uh, extroverted introvert. And that's what I learned about myself. I only thought I was an introvert. That's how I labeled myself. It was convenient to label myself that way. It was convenient for me not mm -hmm. to take chances and not to take risks. It was safer until I learned that there was this other guy that was this extroverted part, you know, and he did want to take some more risk. He did want to have more fun. Sure. And I learned that one side uh, hopefully would kind of beat out the other side <laughs> if my life was going to be better. And there was the extroverted side. But, the, you know, there's something to be said for being introverted, too. It's just that, uh, you know, introverts don't usually rule the earth. Uh, right. Um, you know, uh, they say the meek inherit the earth. I'm not sure I'm buying that. <laughs> it seems like it could be a stretch. Um, one of the one of the things that I read or learned or somebody said somewhere along the way that if you're going to do anything, do it like it is your job. So if you're going to do a podcast, 
you do a podcast every week because that's what somebody that does a podcast does. Or if you have a sales business, you have to make 30 phone calls a day because that's what a good salesman does. And I feel like people get hung up in that. Like, how do I do this or do that? Well, you look at what somebody does good and then I don't, I want to say mimic, but more or less. You know, it's interesting that you say that because just just before I got on the show with you, I was thinking about how much I prepare for my own guests when I, I have a show. So like I have a guest tomorrow who is a world famous athlete uh, who was on the 1969 New York Mets world champion That's cool. baseball team. And I've already read his book, but I may go back to the um, and actually look at his book again um, and really go through that. Now, some other people will just kind of skim through things and, you know, then they interview you and they, mm -hmm. they just kind of just get along with the interview. For me, I, I like to be fully prepared. I like to know my stuff and I like to almost surprise the guests to know the nuance of detail that I know. Uh, so yeah, I, I take what everything I do very seriously. I take this interview very seriously. You know, I want to do the best that I can. Um, sure. No excuses. Sure, sure. So the, uh, so you have, you said you're doing a Mets guy tomorrow. How, how do yeah. you find your, your people for your podcast? Is it just sort passion. of passion? Yeah. You find just... people because you have a passion and you show them that you have an area of expertise. You can relate to them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you tell somebody who's a New York Met that you grew up in Flushing, Queens, Flushing is where Shea Stadium was at the time. It's now City Field. Um, and you can relate and tell them stories of uh, what actually happened in 1969. Um, you know, you could relate to that person. They could relate more to you. Mm -hmm. They know that you're a passionate uh, person uh, who is really a, a big fan uh, and wants to really, you know, get the best out of you. So, you know, that resonates it, it, to tell somebody you read their book and then you start to tell them what's in the book they know you're legitimate, mm -hmm. you know, rather than say, Hey, I just want to have an uh, interview you, you mm -hmm. know, any, any Joe Schmo can interview anybody, mm -hmm. but to actually have read their book and honored them because that's, a, that's honoring somebody to actually read their book. Mm -hmm. a pretty big deal. Sure. And then the, your podcast is the, the motivation show podcast, the, the motivation show where we look to inspire, motivate, and help you to become the best human being that you can possibly be because God doesn't make junk. God, the DNA within you is, is of the almighty. That means you're filled with greatness. You just have to discover that greatness. And it took me a long time to discover my greatness. So my mission on earth is to help everyone else discover their greatness, whether they believe it or not. By the time they listen to all my shows, hopefully they're going to get to the point that I've gotten to, to realize that you are a magnificent creation of God. And I'm not talking that about that in a hokey way. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about that, that you deserve everything that you can possibly conceive. It's just that most people aren't believing it and therefore they are not achieving it. So do you, one of the things I always wonder in, you know, along with the motivation and all that is what do you say to, um, how do I want to pose this? So I feel like there's a, a few different types of people when it comes to motivation. And one of the things that I, I see, I don't want to say regular people, but works a regular nine to five job. We'll just say at a factory. And I, I've heard people say this before. I read that motivational book, but it, it really doesn't apply to me because I, you know, I get up and I go to take my lunchbox to work and come home and pet the dog and mow the yard and 
that's it. Um, is do you think there's two different kinds of people, ones that are striving to be motivated, or do you suppose that? I, I guess how do you how do you look at that situation? You know, there's a 92 year old man who lives not far from me, and he sits out in the porch and he smokes. Now, if I was 92 years old, I would want to conserve every last day, <laughs> every last hour, every last year I can possibly could out of this earth. But you know something? He has more of an interest in smoking, and that keeps him happy, and that's his desire, and he's not worried about when he's going to keel over. Uh, that's one kind of person. Then there's the other kind of person who's obsessing about every ingredient and everything that they eat. They're looking at the bread. Does it have sugar in it? Does it have too much saturated fat in it? You know, is it whole wheat? You know, so mm -hmm. there are two different kinds of people, you know, some that just want to light the world on fire. Mm -hmm. You know, for some people, it's about making money. For other people, it's about making a difference. And for other people, it's more narcissistic. And I don't say that in a negative way. It's okay if you want to be narcissistic and you want to sit and you want to watch eight hours of TV and, and eat pretzels and, you know, <laughs> and have ringdings and yodels, you know, something. If that's what makes you happy, right. all the more power to you is, you know, you, as long as you're not bothering me or anybody else. You sure. Know? So, um, or you could have a combination of all of the above. Right. You know, it's up to you. As far as I'm concerned, you do whatever you have to do in this life, as long as you're not hurting somebody else. Sure. But ideally for me, um, my goal is that everybody that comes across my path can learn a little bit from me, even if it's only 1% better. Sure. So do you ever, so when you get into a one-on-one -on -one coaching situation, how do you, I, I guess what, this is what I, I, uh, what's the words I want to use? Um, wonder about as as a coach i feel like that's got to be one of the hardest jobs in the world because you, you're going from a guy who might be a business uh owner or minded person to an athlete on the other side i feel like probably the motivation and and path to success are somewhat similar and then maybe in the middle somewhere you might have a singer or something like that uh you, you know just the array of people and interests and uh, is do you think there's kind of the same formula that works for anybody that wants to achieve some level of success and greatness or absolutely do you think yeah, it's there's universal principles of success and the first principle is belief uh, most people don't believe in themselves they may think that they do or they may say that they do but deep down inside there there's a subconscious part of us um, and so that subconscious part of us has a certain belief system and until we get into our subconscious you know, we're going to continue on the same path forever. For instance, you talk about motivation, right? So sometimes people will go to an event, they're all pumped up, they're all motivated. You know what I can, yeah, you know yeah, what I'm yeah, talking about. You yeah. can relate to, we've all listened to motivational videos, mm -hmm. or we've listened to Joel Olstein or whoever, right. you know, the flavor of the month is. We got all pumped up, we buy the book, and guess what? We don't even read the book, right? because reality sets in, and it's because it's an unconscious belief system that we've had for decades because somebody when we grew up called us a name because when we grow up there's always people calling us names there's always people you know kids kids are mean to each other sure you know uh, sometimes your own parents are mean to you but you remember the one comment that somebody made 40 years ago and you don't let that go and that overrules things it overrules all the positive stuff it's always like yeah yeah i, I know i got the trophies but 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 you know, right. I'm still a yep. fraud. Right. A lot of people, even athletes or, or actors, they still think they're frauds. Mm -hmm. They still think, even though they've gotten to the top of the heap, 
they still think, well, maybe somebody's going to notice that I'm really a fraud and find out it's a yeah. subconscious belief. Sure. Sure. I've, I've actually heard that from a lot of different people that, that, uh, I, they're going to find out sooner or later that I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I, you know, I'm not as good exactly. as they think exactly. I am. Um, what about, do you suppose there's, and how do you deal with people once you achieve a certain level of success? Um, it seems like comfort's your enemy that once you start to get some success and maybe, I don't know, you're, you're financially sound, we'll say, or whatever, whatever level of, if I could only make it there when you were trying and then you make it there, do you, how do you break people out of that to, to, to keep going and, and try and achieve more? Well, the number one question is, what is your goal? What are you in it for? What are you trying? What are you looking to do? What is your outcome? What is your why? Mm -hmm. That's the biggest question. What is your why? Is your why simply to make money? Well, if you've already made money, maybe you're not as motivated, right? You know, right. Um, so what is your why? Is your why for people to notice you for you to be famous is or is your why to make a difference for other people? See, sometimes it takes us decades to evolve mm -hmm. into realizing what is our, our real why? Is it our two kids that we have at home? You want to make a better future for them that you got for yourself? Mm -hmm. What is your why? If your why is strong enough, you'll do anything to achieve that goal. If you don't have a big enough why, you're just going to phone it in between nine and five, kick back, get the six pack, watch sure. sports all night long, and that's it. And again, nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. You know, makes you happy and you're not hurting anybody else. But for people like yourself and myself, that doesn't float it for me. Because God gave me certain talents. God gave me ability to inspire and motivate, which I didn't realize for many decades. Mm -hmm. But I don't want to waste another minute with that gift and not bestowing it upon other people. There's a reason why God put us on earth. And if we all ask ourselves that question, what the heck are we doing here? Mm -hmm. Are we here just to eat a lot of food <laughs> and to watch a lot of, you know, right. Uh, Netflix? Right, right. Because we certainly can. There's a lot of food and Netflix out there right now. So we're, it's, it's a real possible uh, ending. But how, when, when did you go from, so you said you, you were in sales. And then at some point you realized, hey, I've, I've got some information that's really useful to other people. How, how did you make that, that transition from I'm selling things to I'm going to go talk to some people about some things well, I've learned? Psychology was my major. Okay. You see, selling is really psychology. I don't really sell things. You mm -hmm. see, I help people buy things. Right. I help people make better decisions. You see, nobody wants to really be sold. Right. So if you're selling somebody, they're going to run for the hills. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be too thrilled. So you have to develop a consult. You're like a consultant, really. Right. And so when I look at the sales profession, I look at myself as a consultant to somebody. I look at myself as an advisor. I look at myself as someone who's there to collaborate with them for a, the best possible ending. I don't look at it as, as a commission for myself because sure. I can see through somebody when I can see that they're all about making a commission on me. You know, I kind of get turned off. I run for the hills. Right. You know, I want somebody to be there who 
I feel is not even making a commission. Now it's okay that they are, mm-hmm. but I want to feel that they're kind of not, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like they're, they're going to exist and do this regardless. Of, they're doing this because right. they want the best for you. Mm-hmm. How many times have you encountered a salesperson who wanted the best for you instead of the best for their pocket? Right. And most of the time you kind of, you kind of see through the phoniness and the fake, you know, Oh, you know, you can tell that, <laughs> They're using the same closes all over again. Yep, yep, and yep. it's like, can you just be real uh, instead of all this cookie cutter, you know, nonsense, which I can read through. So just be real with people, you know, ask them questions, find out what really is important to them, you know, under promise over deliver. Mm-hmm. Sure. So then, so you went from, but then how did you make the transition into doing more motivational type uh it's all the same at the end so of the day. So is that what you're saying? Because when people okay. are buying from me, they're motivated, they're inspired because it's it's a way of my being and how I relate to them, which inspires them to buy. So that it's no longer, oh, uh, you're charging too much or uh, let me see if I can afford this or right. let me talk to my accountant or whatever, <laughs> you know, bull, BS excuses right. that people give to procrastinate. Uh, when somebody feels good about you, they will pay more with you than they would with somebody else because they trust you. They feel that you're there for their best interest. And I am always there for my client's best interest. And that will come through at some point if somebody allows us to develop the relationship and the time. Not everybody will allow me that time. Not everybody mm-hmm. will allow me that luxury. You know, they're just putting me in a cookie cutter, you know, sometimes place like they're putting everybody else and i'm no different from anybody else and then it becomes who's got the best price right not who's got the best value but who's the best person to work with right so have in the past especially i guess it would be 10 to 15 years have you noticed selling is easier or harder um with the way you can kind of because i'll give you a for instance so i i uh i have a company we sell diesel pickup parts is kind of our niche and we can pretty much zero in on people that have diesel pickups or the people who are going to call us. And we don't have to do cold calls. So it's, it's not like we're going to pick the phone book up and get a list and call down and say, hey, do you have a diesel pickup? Is the motor bad? Do you want some parts? Like it's such a, a stretch. So we got to get those people to come to us. And it's never been easier to get people to come to us ever before in history, I think, than with everything that's available now, marketing wise, social media and everything else. So it almost seems to me that it's gotten easier on some level, um, especially we do a lot of online sales. So the sale is on the website. It's, it's not so much person to person as it was, you know, in the past. Um, but we still have a good person to person aspect of it, but I've just noticed it's easier and maybe I've just gotten better at it too. Um, than it used to be 10, 15 years ago, people call and they are, basically qualified for what you're selling as opposed to they didn't really kind of know what you were doing before people are way more informed today than it seems like they ever were well like with everything um it's a double-edged sword right um all progress leaves behind something that had certain advantages Mm -hmm. but if you play the new cards correctly you're going to surpass where you were before So if you utilize the technology that you have today that didn't exist before 
and you're able to not cold call the way you did in person before sure. door to door, which is brutal. <laughs> and you have a mechanism for where you're out in a golf course or you're sleeping and the leads are coming in because people are seeing, you know, your your ads uh, digitally or uh, they're you know going on your website. Mm -hmm. And certainly it's a whole lot easier than it ever been before. So if you know how to use the technology uh, today, uh, you're going to sell a lot easier and a lot more and a lot faster than you ever did before. The disadvantage today is it's more of an impersonal world. Mm -hmm. People don't tend to want to get on a phone or talk to you as much as they did right. before. You know, you only had one or two ways that people can see you either cold call them, walk yep. in on them, or you got on the phone and people just got on the phone with you. Now everybody hides behind email. Yeah, right. So right. it's gotten a lot less personal. And so it's harder to get somebody to make a purchase through an email than it would be uh, if you're obviously sitting right in front of them. Right. So in that sense, it's a lot harder, but it depends obviously on the service or the product. But I would take today's world over uh, uh, yesterday's world anytime. Sure. How does it work in your experience with the, you know, you, you said you uh, work with a lot of speakers. So I, I kind of look at it two ways where in the world of TED Talks and all that kind of stuff, and YouTube, there's there's very little things that you could want to know that aren't a few clicks away. And then next thing you know, you're watching somebody tell you all about it. So it, it seems, again, like a double-edged sword, where if you were a speaker and you were going around giving presentations, um, is that, you know, in-person things starting to go by the wayside and more of a, I mean, with COVID and all this stuff, obviously, but um, as opposed to putting out some sort of digital asset that you would send instead? Or do people still want a person to show up and interact in person? Well, don't forget the world has changed since COVID. So sure. we don't know exactly how that's all going to lay out in the future, whether there is going to be the same amount of events, less events, more events. Right. Uh, that's to be uh, seen. But uh, as it was before COVID, there was more demand for professional speakers than ever before in history. There was more and more events um, and people were more sought after. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there, there are literally tens of thousands of events mm -hmm. happening all over the world. Uh, and once COVID's over, we'll get back to those in-person sure. events. And now you've got the added uh, benefit of also having the virtual events. So the demand will be there. And like everything else, um, it's a survival of the fittest. Sure, sure. So, you know, one of the things that I always got a kick out of when I was in the group that had the speakers coming around in different places is I've never went to dinner with a TED talk before where you could go to a dinner with somebody and, and have a one-on-one -on -one conversation. That's, I don't want to say kind of off the record, but a little more informal and, and you can in, uh, engage in a different way. So I'm, I feel like it's probably the best of both worlds. If we lived in a normal world where you can kind of see somebody and see what their value is and, and kind of how they think and then bring them in. Personally, you know, you know, to be in front of somebody uh, or look, if you think about sports, right, with the exception, I think, of maybe football, right, um, almost every sport is just so much more exciting and mm -hmm. so much, you know, uh, you know, you just can't, you know, give any sort of comparison to watching something on TV versus being at that event, you know, to say that I was at the you know, the Super Bowl, or I was at the Olympics 20 years ago. I mean, that's a whole different thing right. than watching it on TV. The greatest memories I have were the games that I actually attended. Um, so there's still nothing like, you know, being present mm -hmm. versus, 
you know, whether it's listening to a motivational speaker, it's just not the same on YouTube. Uh, being in front of the world's greatest motivational speakers to me is like, that's heaven. Mm -hmm. That is like, you know, to hear Tony Robbins live versus on a video or an audio, it's night and day. Sure. Absolutely. There's a different presence about the whole thing. Um, so when you, you're before COVID, when you were traveling around, especially doing company type uh, presentations, I've always, I've never actually been in one. I've never been in a large company that has had one, but I have friends. And I, the regular thing that I hear from them is like, oh God, we all have to go into a thing tomorrow. And there, somebody's giving a presentation about X. It could be anything from, you know, safety to motivation to strategy. So how, how do you guys work with that? Because what's funny about it is that they, they don't want to be there. They want to go do their regular job. They're, you know, there's a good majority of them that, just are, are there for their paycheck. But the next week I'll be like, Hey, how'd that presentation thing go you're going to, or the speech or whatever. Oh, and then they'll tell you all about it. And then they have this great big, long, uh, summary of what happened and all the stuff they learned. And it was kind of weird if you could just play back a week ago, they were like, I'm absolutely, you know, <laughs> not wanting to go, you know, do you, how do you, it feels like it's different when you have people paying to come see you speak, as opposed to you get hired to speak in front of a group that maybe the group hired you, but not the individuals. How do, how do you work that? That's a great question. You know, many of the greatest blessings I've had in my life were things that I didn't intend to have happen. It just happened. I fell into it. Um, coincidence, mm -hmm. you know, meant to be, you know, I've heard that expression before. Um, I believe that every encounter you have uh, has been set up for you to have. You may not recognize it at the time, you may not understand it. You may bypass it, mm -hmm. but I believe there's a reason for it. And it's up for you to either uncover it, embrace it, find out why, or pass it by. Sure. So uh, you'd be surprised who might fall into your lap that you never heard of, because some of the greatest uh, speakers on the planet are not public figures. They're not out in the media. They're not Joe Rogan. They don't have a UFC platform, <laughs> uh, but they're damn good. Um, and I talked to this woman the other day. She's 80 years old, and she's very quiet about her work. She mm -hmm. doesn't shout it out. She Even when she's called on it, she, we were at an event together. It was over 100 people. They called on her, and they asked her, do you have anything that you want to add? And she said no. Uh, she just wants people to discover her. My mentor uh, one of the greatest motivational speakers in history, wrote 14 books, wrote the classic, The Psychology of Winning, one of the greatest uh, best-selling audio cassette programs of all time, Dennis Waitley. He doesn't push his products from the stage. He's got tons of products. He allows people to find him. Mm -hmm. And for him, it's just richer that way. He doesn't feel he needs to do that. So you'll find the people that you need to find. And it's not necessarily going to be the famous one. Sometimes you're just going to stumble upon it. But when I'm speaking, it's not about me. It's about you. And I'm going to find a way to get your attention. Mm -hmm. I'm going to make it about you. I'm going to open your eyes. I'm going to say some things that you never heard before in ways that you never heard before. And look, if you're just not motivated, I'm not going to reach you. <laughs> Right. I'm not the guy and neither maybe is anybody else. You're still going to break open the six pack and you're going to watch your Netflix. Right. Do you think there's a danger in getting 
too famous. I, I, famous is the word I'll use, but it seems at some point, uh, you know, you, you have a Tony Robbins type character. At some point, it feels like it's more of an act than a real back and forth. Like you have to put on a presentation for this many people this many times a year, no matter what. Do you think that it's uh, at some point it turns into a different thing? I think anybody who's on a stage, <laughs> even if it's a teacher, mm -hmm. there is an element of acting. But when we say acting, it doesn't make it phony. You mm -hmm. see, uh, what I look at it more is you're pulling something out of you that you wouldn't necessarily do if you're one on one or with your family. You're just pulling out the other side of you. See, again, we have multiple sides to ourselves. So am I going to be rah, 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 around my wife and around my friends? Sure. They think I'm, I'm crazy Eddie. They think I'm a lunatic. Right. But when I'm on stage, I have a mission. I have a job. I have an obligation to inspire and motivate. And people who have high energy tend to be more motivational. Tend to, people tend to resonate more to that. So you got to give people the formula, the things that you know are going to move and inspire them because you said people sometimes come to these events and they're like you know they're not the one who paid you so how motivated are they so you got to shift their energy you got to get them up off their seats because they're just going to start yawning after a while they're going to start multitasking they're going to look at their phone so you got to wake them up you got to jar them you got to get them out of that state of mind and like okay we're getting up here let's do a couple of jumping jacks it's like wait wait where'd that mm -hmm. come from you know, right. so you got to recharge their battery. And that's part of the problem. Nobody wants to sit there and listen to four hours of a lecture, no matter who it is. Right. What's your favorite profession to work with? As far as, you know, are, are we athletes, uh, business owners? I mean, where, what do you, where do you seem to find the most excited, fun to work well, with? To people? me, an athlete is my sort of fun zone. Mm hmm because to get to that level, you cannot cheat. You have to be the best, right? You know, you, you can fudge through some other things. You know, you don't have to be the best dentist in the world. You can still have a big dental practice, right? I knew a podiatrist that had five offices. He was a lousy podiatrist. <laughs> he had the number one podiatry practice because mm -hmm. he had great ads. Um, unfortunately, he did some things that he probably shouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. He probably put, you know, look, there are doctors who push surgeries. Most of them are really good. Uh, but some doctors push surgeries that you don't need. They push medications you don't need. Uh, the overwhelming majority of them do the right thing, mm -hmm. but there are some that just don't. So, so what do athletes I, need the most help with in general when well, you work with them? You know, like anything else, athletes need a winning mindset, mm -hmm. and they're still within them, like everybody else. There's still that that seed of doubt because don't forget, now they're in a sandbox with the best of the best in the world. Right. So even though they know they're really good and they're better than anybody else in their community, now they have to be the best in the world right. and they have to beat the best in the world. So they still have that seed of doubt within them. Like I'm an imposter. What am I doing here? You know, I, maybe I should have been the one cut, you know, right. maybe I'm not fast enough. You know, maybe I'm, you know, camouflaging my deficiencies in, you know, at being more flamboyant, Sure. you know, so it still always it comes down to the mindset. You can't afford the the, uh, the luxury of a negative thought when you're an athlete. You have to believe that you're the winner and your team's going to win. And the minute the doubt starts to creep in, guess what? You drop the ball. Sure. How Have you ever worked with many fighters? Or I'm trying to think of other maybe 
tennis, but they don't have quite as dire circumstances um, if they lose. Um, it seems like a fighter's mindset would be the hardest to keep motivated as opposed to a team because it, in a team-type setting, we'll, we'll just say football, for example, you have all different sizes and shaped people. They all work together to move the ball down the field, and individual matters, but not quite as much as in when you're in a ring with the guy that's the exact same size-ish, exact same weight, and you, things are as even as you kind of can make the playing field. And it, I'm always amazed that the guys that have horrendous losses, um, either boxing, MMA, wrestling, anything like that, or even high school wrestling, how those guys keep themselves together and show up for the next time without a loss in that, that motivation or that winner's mindset. And many of them do lose the motivation, you know, and uh, sometimes they lose the fight. You've heard people say, I, I just didn't get myself into to shape right. this time out. You know, I'm going to do it, you know, whether it's a Conor McGregor or, you know, a Mike Tyson right. at some point, uh, you know, a good amount of athletes, boxers, fighters, they lose that edge. Mm -hmm. They lose that motivation. They lose the, the desire to get up at six in the morning. You know, they lose the desire like Rocky to beat that, right. to beat the, uh, that big slab of meat in the, in, in the freezer, you right. know? Um, and that seems, that's what I was kind of, kind of getting at was, it seems like that peels back at all. Fighting peels it all back that maybe you don't see quite as much in a team sport where it's, it's 100% up to that guy that day to be 100% in mentally. Well, you know what that's I mean? That's why so, you hire a, that's why you get a, a manager and mm -hmm. that's why you have a mentor and that's why you have a coach. Uh, so that somebody else can hold you to what you yourself may be struggling to continue to hold yourself to. So the manager is there to remind you, like, you got two choices here. You can slack off and eat a pint of Haagen-Dazs, or you can get your brains beat out the next time you're in the middle of the ring. Right. And that will live forever. So, you know, there's that saying about, you know, uh, give up the pain of, of today for the for the glory of forever. Sure. And then how much do you think that same thing relates to business owners? It relates in the same way. You know, ever, all of life is about how much discomfort we're willing to endure so that we can build a lasting legacy. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we're all struggling, we're all fighting, we're all working hard. How hard, how much struggle are you willing to endure to get what you want? Some people can't handle it. They're not cut out to be an entrepreneur. They're cut out the clock in nine to five. Right. They could if they decided to be something else, but some people's makeup just won't go there. They're just, I have a, a, a doorman who tells me that motivation is fraudulent <laughs> he's telling me it's fraudulent what do you mean it's fraudulent well it's all a hoax what do you mean it's a hoax yeah you know uh people should be self-motivated i said and well in an ideal world it would be nice if everybody was motivated 24 hours a day seven days a week but there's something called life that gets in the way sure and every one of us has a hundred things happening and look you know um we look in the mirror and we're not brad pitt you know we're not <laughs> You know, um, right. uh, pick you know, anybody, <laughs> guys, you know, Lou Ferrigno, you right. know, Hercules. Right. And we start to doubt ourselves. We start to see the flaws. It's funny because 99% of you could be flawless, 
but you'll notice the 1% that isn't. Well, and one of the things I've always noticed with people that have that same sediment that your doorman has is they expected to spend whatever a book goes for, $9, $20, whatever it is. They expected to find the answer to the world in that book. And they read the book exactly. and they're like, well, shit, I'm still broke. Like, that didn't help at all. I, But it's it's a tool to get somewhere else. It's not it's not the secret scroll that's going to unlock all the golden well, doors. Well, you just said the secret. So there was a book called The Secret. You know what the real secret is? The secret is there is no secret. The right. secret, if there is a secret, it's hard work. Right. right. You have to work hard every day. You know, as Tony Robbins puts it, every single day you should, you should have some incremental improvement in your life. Every single day. That should be your goal. That's not everybody's goal. Some, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's Groundhog Day for the majority of people. Sure. You know, you, you have the same, you wake up, you have the same morning routine, you shove down the muffin, you grab the <laughs> cup of coffee, yep. you, you're, you're rushing to the train, the train's stalled, you're late, you make the same excuses, you look at your, your watch, you clock out at five o'clock, yep. you grab your dinner, you know, and it's Rinse the same Groundhog Day. Right. One of the things in the past, um, well, it's probably the past, it's getting on to be about 15 years now. So one of our distributors, that the entire group of us, there's a whole bunch of people that sell the same kind of parts I do. And they would have this uh, trip once a year. If you sold enough, they would take you on this trip. And then all of us got to know each other. And this amazing thing happened where we all became friends. We were all competition, but we all became friends. And you started to realize, oh, you struggle with that too? Oh, that's the hard part of your business too? Oh, and one of the things that um, it showed me through the years was a lot of business people live on this angry little island that they think only the bad stuff happens to them and it only rains on their island. Oh, and well said. You have well to have said. somebody else, like whether it's a mentor, a peer, a coach, to, to just sit you down, kind of pull your head out of your ass and go, no, 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 this happens to everybody. It's okay. Do you ever notice when you can't get your pin number or your passcode, how often that happens because there's so many devices and so many websites that yep. require that. And, you know, you put it someplace, but you or you forgot to, to put it where you needed to put it. You, you thought you'd remember um, and it drives you crazy and you spend 20 minutes just trying to get into one thing. <laughs> and then they have to text you the, uh, the code and then it doesn't come to you. And it drives you absolutely bonkers. You say, why does this happen to me? Right. Why, you know, I'm wasting so much time. I don't, and you know something? It happens to all of us. Right. Yep, it does. <laughs> it's it's crazy. But I, I you know, it, I probably was more towards your doorman when I was younger. When I was like, bah, I can do all this. I don't need anybody to help me with this. I don't need a, a quote unquote mentor or a coach. And looking back, through the years at the people that I've connected with and have helped me with different things and taught me different things. It's impossible to really get too far on your own without somebody kind of showing you the way a little bit. So well said, because you see, we don't even realize what people think of us. Mm -hmm. How many of us have asked somebody else to judge us? How many of us have said, tell me what you think about me? I never hear anybody say that. <laughs> no, most people haven't got a clue what people think about them, except maybe their very best friends or their mother. Right. You know, you can't do any wrong by your mother, maybe. But 
uh, we don't know how we're perceived. We don't know if we talk too much, we talk too little, you know, we don't have enough energy, we got too much energy. We really just don't know. We don't ask, we don't get the feedback. There's nobody, you know, people are afraid to give you the feedback right. because they think that you can't take it. Um, so they just don't say anything uh, or they just avoid you right? like the plague. So we all need feedback and we need critical feedback in a way that's not going to destroy us, but we know is just simply going to uplift us. We need that honesty. Right. Um, and that's where the coach comes in. And you know something? One day we're going to wake up 30 years later and realize if we had that coach. See, if I had a coach when I was in high school and I had somebody assigned to me and that coach had one goal, that's to make me the best first baseman or pitcher. When I threw 100 miles an hour, which I did in high school, or when I was recruited as a number one hitter in the entire city. Um, but that all went down the drain because I didn't have a coach mm -hmm. and my mindset was not very good. I doubted myself and I thought I was an imposter. And then guess what? I started saying, I hope they don't hit me. Mm -hmm. I hope they don't hit that fastball or uh, I hope they don't hit that ball to me because I don't want to be the guy to, to lose the game. Mm -hmm. When you start thinking like that, it's over for you. Right. It was over for me before I started. It took me decades later to realize what I needed. Mm -hmm. You want to wait decades and find out the hard way? Or do you want to get someone there to save you all that aggravation, all that time, all that, you know, needless, right. you know, your whole destiny changes. Right. So I don't know of a single person that doesn't need a coach. They might not realize that they do. And a lot of people, uh, including a whole family member who's, wouldn't conceive of having <laughs> somebody they they i've got it all figured out mm -hmm. um but i don't believe that i believe tony robbins needs a coach mm -hmm. so do you find it i i guess when somebody hires a coach they're already sort of looking for some help so they're probably a little more open um I would think, and the, the the vast majority of them, to accepting advice and accepting some outside, inter, you know, uh, opinion of what uh, your reality really is from the outside. Um, do you struggle sometimes getting people to accept that what what reality is versus how they build up reality in their own mind? There's two kinds of people: one who's very open to realizing their own erroneous zones; the other ones will find excuses for why it's never their problem. Somebody the other day online uh, accused me of being a fraud because they didn't recognize my name in the, uh, in the group because I changed my last name many, many years ago. So because he couldn't, uh, he didn't remember me from being back in high school or uh, junior high school. Therefore, uh, I was just there, uh, you know, uh, planting myself for some ulterior motive. Then when he found out that I was uh, not only real, but I was actually in his class. Uh, and even though someone else vouched for him and said, he's got a photographic memory. So if he doesn't remember you, then you must be a fraud. Even though they realized after that, they, that I was real um, and their people did vouch for me, they still didn't apologize. They found reasons and excuses mm -hmm. for why what they were, were, were perceiving was valid. So sure. there's two kinds of people. You know, I'm the kind of person that says, tell me what I need to learn mm -hmm. and don't feel like you need to beat around the bush with me. Uh, and when I need to apologize, I'm the first person to apologize, not going to find reasons and excuses. But, but, but no, no, look, I didn't get the job done. Apologize. Mm -hmm. 
doesn't matter what the reason is. Sorry, I didn't get the job done. You know, my job was to get it done within 48 hours. We both agreed on it. It didn't get done. The dog ate the paper. You know, uh, my <laughs> shoes had a hole in it. You know, whatever it was. Sorry, I apologize. It didn't get done. I won't let it happen again. Diffuse the situation. Yep. Come on. Yep. And one of the things I was thinking about, actually, I was I was looking through the list of people that you've you've talked to, and you have a bunch of pictures on your your website of all the people that you've you've met, and there's a, a pretty impressive list of of folks there. And I don't know what made me think this today, but I thought, are there anybody, is there anybody out there doing shows where they only interview failures to, uh, you know, and most of the successful people, if you talk to them, they were failures at some point. Exactly. But nobody sees them like that. They, they don't, when you interview somebody or, or you see somebody uh, successful on TV or read an article about them. It's usually not vote. It's 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 a nice fluff part. These guys, he was dead broke and now he's a millionaire. That dead broke part well, kind of is off to the side a little bit. You're right because people can't relate to the fact that you know somebody who's a billionaire uh, was once a failure. So you know, uh, I give a course, you know, from painfully shy to top sales guy, and that's a true story. You know, there was one time where I couldn't do anything. I couldn't achieve anything. I didn't advance anything. Uh, I was too afraid to take the risk. But guess what? Doing nothing is a failure. Mm -hmm. Not choosing to move forward is a failure. Not choosing to join is a failure. It's not a safety net. Right. It took me a long time to understand that. I, I belong to a business organization. I try to tell people, come into the business organization, meet other people like me, like yourself, meet, meet other people who want to achieve things, people you can uh, you know, accelerate with. And they, they don't, they're, they're paralyzed. They can't make the decision. And guess what? They've already lost. Sure. Because they think that the money, they may lose the money, but they're losing already. Even without spending the money, they're losing the ability to make money or they're losing the ability to make a relationship, sure. which can change things. How, you know, it probably goes along a lot with being shy too. How many business people do you suppose or professionals in, of any type are really, really, um, I, I don't know other word than afraid to let that onion get peeled back a little bit to let everybody kind of see their inner softness and, and worries and failures. And everybody has this, this outside projection that I know a lot of business people, if, if you knew the inner workings of their life, like a few of them I've got to met, it's kind of a three ring circus. And on the outside, it looks like, you know, they've got it together. 100%. Most people won't let you inside. Most people put on a facade. Most people show you what they think that you want to see. The funny part is that those who show their vulnerability, those who show their real self, those who aren't there trying to guess what you want to see, those are the ones that you resonate with. Those are the ones you can relate to. Those are the ones you can get along with better. Uh, but most people are there putting on a show. They're putting sure. on a facade. They're putting on what they think uh, the role of a CEO is supposed to be. And it's not always the way in which they're actually behaving. It's not always that stuffy, sort of stern, <laughs> sort of, you know, can't let loose kind of person. And that almost seems like more work than just doing the work in the first place. 
to to put on that whole act 24 7 well you know that's why i like a warren buffett you know i can relate to a guy like that because you know he's a brilliant guy but you know he's got that warm yep. grandfatherly kind of like who cares you know it's only a billion dollar deal i got <laughs> right. going on today right and so you don't like he's cut he just did a billion dollar deal and, and he acts as if like you know it, it was like a, a 20 cent transaction you know so sure you can relate to a guy like that even though you kind of how do you relate to a guy who's got 40 billion dollars right there's a different thing between somebody telling you i got a billion dollar deal today and that's eh, not that big of a deal and a guy impressing upon you that how much of a big not a big deal that billion that's dollar well deal. said yeah because you know he's not trying to impress you there are people who try to impress me all mm -hmm. the time like oh i just got it. like i had this one guy he's i just got out of this meeting you know i'm on a board we just there's a 40 billion dollar deal going on like why does he need to say that <laughs> right okay like, if you've got something going on that big like a ball player does not have to try to impress me right i'm already impressed right i already know what he batted i already know any home runs he hit he doesn't have to say you know i'm the best you know muhammad ali was different because he, to him it was more of a almost like an intimidation to for the other guy or or mm -hmm. just a way to pump himself up um but, you know, the average athlete, they don't need to tell you, hey, you know, Henry Aaron didn't need to say, I, hey, I hit you know, right. 700 and some odd home runs. You already know that he's a legend. And then the other weird thing about that is, can you imagine if regular people's stats were put out there on playing cards or online somewhere? So you could just look up your neighbor's stats at whatever of life goal or activity they do and just be like wow he's really bad at mowing the yard or whatever well, you know we started the show by me talking about my ability to sell and it's uncomfortable for me to say oh yeah I, you know i should be in the guinness book of world records i'd rather have a baseball card that or some kind of card that like mm -hmm. talks about it for me you know but you know we're on a show here so you know it's it is what i'm good at i'm not sure. i can't dunk basketballs or <laughs> build houses or do most of the things uh but no, you're right. You know, uh, we don't have a scorecard out there making it easy for people to assess us the way an athlete or even an actor does. Right, right, right. Well, hey, I've taken up a whole hour of your time here. A really great conversation. And um, why don't you tell us a little more where people could reach you if they want to explore you a little bit farther and, and kind of check out your stuff. Yeah, well, there's a few things they can do. You can come on to my website, EliMarcusSuccess.com. That's EliMarcusSuccess.com. I'm going to be rebuilding that in a few weeks. So uh, you, when you come back on there, you're going to see a whole bunch more pictures and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. You can actually come join into my uh, LinkedIn group. It's uh, called the Motivation Mastermind Group. Just those three words, put that in the search bar. And it's good to stay in the sandbox of people you know, mm -hmm. like myself or others who are into motivation, because you're going to get other motivated individuals on there too. You can come onto my social media, onto uh, Instagram, Eli Marcus Success, follow all the postings that I have there. And most importantly, get pumped up, get juiced up, listen to the interviews with people who are a whole lot smarter than me, you know, people who accomplish things that I've only could dream of, and subscribe to the motivation show, which you can listen to on any a platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatever floats your boat, The Motivation Show. Awesome. And if you could leave everybody with one piece of advice, what would that be? I put you on a the spot there. Sorry. I'll give you another second to think about well, it. Well, <laughs> that goes back to uh, a person that I flew in from California who had at the time the number one best-selling 
book in the country, the New York, number one New York Times bestselling book, which has now become part of the American jargon. And that is don't sweat the small stuff, but the subtitle might be just as important or more important. And it's all small stuff. Mm -hmm. So when you stop sweating and when you stop worrying and you stop stressing and you start living a quality life and at the speed of life, your life will get so much better because it's in the stress where your life breaks down. And so it's not what happens around you. It's how you interpret it. And if you start interpreting it as that it's all small stuff, except for maybe one or two really big life stuff, you know, uh, and even then uh, I had a friend who lost her husband and you know something, instead of getting devastated, they had a celebration at the beach. Sure. And they acted as if it was a joyful thing. So it's all about, again, how you choose to react to it. Uh, it's not about what actually happened to you. Sure. You're a man after my own heart. On my one monitor at work, I have a little quote taped across the top of the screen. And it says, uh, I remember a story of an old man who said at the end of his life, he had a lot of troubles, but most of them never happened. <laughs> exactly right. If we look back on our lives and realize how many times we stressed out, sweat the small stuff, uh, and got physically sick as a result mm -hmm. of it, what would we do? We change it all. Sure. Uh, yet we continue to follow the same pattern, continue to do the same thing, uh, continue to break up lifelong relationships for what? For a one minute egotistical rant and rave yep. because we had to win, we had to, you know, beat them. Yep. Uh, and then what do we, you know, we pay a price for a lifetime. Sure. Well, hey, man, I really enjoyed this. I'm going to let you go. And uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime. I would be, a, it would be a great pleasure and a great honor. And thank you for thinking of me and having me on your show. Sure thing. Anytime. Have a great night, man. You too. Yep. See ya.